0: Hello and welcome to Bible Quest, the Wednesday edition, and today Joe Works is going to start us off. Go ahead, Joe.
1: Thank you, Drew, uh, and we uh, do welcome you to Bible Quest. I'm Jeff Smelser in Exton, Pennsylvania. Oh, no, I'm not. I'm Joe Works in Elmira, New York, but no, I'm, I'm just used to that's the way that the program starts, and so I'm, you know, reading off of the monitor here, uh, but we do have Jeff and Chase uh, both with, uh, with us uh, this afternoon.
2: Hey, guys hey good afternoon i'm glad you're not jeff smeltzer hey guys how's it going
1: very good so we're going to uh, just take a uh, just today to take a quick look at the songs of a sense that is a set of psalms psalms 120 to 134 and uh, this is i think the only subset of psalms that is self-identified we have other sets of psalms subsets like the Hillel psalms, so like 113 to 118 but this set of psalms actually labels themselves within the book and so if you're joining us at the beginning of psalm 120 it says a song of ascents and that title is for each of the psalms 120 to 134 and so they were a very special set of psalms Written by various authors. We know at least David and uh, Solomon wrote some of them. Um, uh, We also have, um, I think one of them was by the son of Korah. Um, Maybe I'm missing uh, the the heading there, but maybe not. Um, uh, But we know that at least David and Solomon uh, wrote them. But they were put together, and I believe in a specific order, that is certainly arguable. I think they were put in order uh, to sort of tell a story of the the ascending to Jerusalem. All the males, the male adults in the Israelites were commanded to travel to Jerusalem three times a year for the annual feast, Passover, Pentecost, and the Feast of Booths. Uh, Those are recorded for us in uh, Luke 23 and Deuteronomy 26, uh, what, Numbers 15, if I'm not mistaken. Um, And so three times the Jews were supposed to go up to Jerusalem, the Jewish men were. And as they would travel from their home to Jerusalem, they would Mm -hmm. sing these songs along the way. And uh, you can just sort of imagine people, you know, and as you get closer and closer to the Jerusalem, then on these feasts, the the crowds would get larger. And that's why we have, for example, Jesus, as uh, at the time of his crucifixion, when they're coming into Jerusalem, there were large crowds coming in with him because it was the Passover time. We have other situations that sort of help us to paint that picture, I think. You remember when Jesus was 12 years old and his family had gone to Jerusalem? It was for a feast, and remember that Jesus, they thought that he was with the crowd going back home because there was just a bunch of people traveling together. They ended up finding him later on in the temple, and that story is told for us in Luke's account. Um, You also have in Acts the second chapter where all these people were in Jerusalem at the day of Pentecost from all of these different nations. Well, that's because they were commanded to go there. So Passover, Pentecost, and then the Feast of Booths. It was the third uh, annual feast that they were to attend. And so these songs would be sung as they would travel along the way. And so that's just kind of a, a very brief overview to uh, these uh, psalms. Something that you guys want to add? Just jump in.
2: Just the fact that, you know, in the Old Testament, talk, and, and I think there's some debate as to whether psalms of a sense are psalms uh, used on this occasion or their other ideas but this makes sense um and i like the way you described it um and and one of the things you alluded to was uh when jesus was 12 and and he went up you you see an indication that even though in the old testament for each of these annual feasts the men were required to appear in jerusalem and yet apparently over the over the years, it had become traditional for just whole families to go. And so you, so that's what you see in the account of uh, Jesus' family going up. That's what you, you That seems to be the case, certainly the Feast of Pentecost in Acts 2. In John 6, when you have the feeding of the 5,000, you've got thousands of people on their way to um, Jerusalem, and, and it seems to be a mixed crowd. So,
0: right. yeah, Exactly. My so, understanding he, is to the ascents, I, I think you might have said this, is it's it's not just only the idea that they're ascending to Jerusalem on their way but i've i've also heard others say that there seems to be a progression as the psalms go an ascent in the psalms as well so kind of right. two meanings with it
1: right right yeah it, it, it's almost like a, you know a, a powerfully written song in multiple parts here and you are just reaching this crescendo. By the time we get to 134, there's just great celebration, I believe, yes. uh, as we're reading through this. Uh, and so just a, a ton of, of lessons can be presented from uh, these Psalms, but we're just going to zero in on a couple of quick ideas. Um, uh, and, and like Jeff said, there's other possibilities the way that these Psalms were used. Uh, I would say this that it may not be this or that but it may be all of those sure
2: things. sure
1: but you notice in psalm 120 he says in my distress i cried to the lord and he heard me deliver my soul o lord from lying lips and from deceitful tongue what shall be given to you or what shall be done to you o false tongue sharp arrows of a warrior with coals of the broom tree woe is me that i sojourn in Meshach, that i dwell among the tents of Kedar my soul has dwelt too long with the one who hates peace i am for peace but when i speak they are for war and so the psalmist is it seems like he's at home wherever that is he talks about Meshach and kedar those are in opposite directions of each other geographically so maybe he's using those two terms um uh, sort of figuratively that he's dwelling amongst pagans that he's dwelling in an ungodly place he's willing in a place that is uh, tumultuous that there's the the people around him are all for war and he's for peace in fact verse 7 the beginning of that uh you may see the italicized words it's literally i peace um uh you know uh i think it's 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 fine to say i am for peace but it's i peace you know he wants peace he wants to be peace um and uh he is in a place that is not that yeah crazy so so. god
0: so when you think of an ascension he's definitely at the lowest point that he
1: can be exactly yeah that's a wonderful yeah that's a great way of of seeing that and uh, so then by the time we get to 134 you know it's all about the house of the lord um uh, and so like you said this sort of building up and so he's praying to god in psalm 120 and god has answered him although he hasn't begun his journey he knows that god has answered him and so then in 121 I'll lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my help? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. And so he's saying that I'm I'm lifting up my eyes to the hills. And, and right outside my window, in fact, there's a little hill. And I can I can look and, and I do this fairly often, uh, sitting here at my desk, and I'll look out into the beautiful scenery. But when I see the hill, I can't help but see the sky right above it. And and I think that's the imagery from whence, uh, I'll lift up my eyes to the hills, from whence comes my help? My help comes from higher than the hills. You know, and and so he's looking up, you might just skip ahead and look at Psalm 123 in verse one. Unto you, I lift up my eyes, you who dwell in the heavens. And so it's like he's looking up. And again, that sense of of ascending, it's as he's getting closer, the view is getting clearer. and, And you sort of just see this anxiousness or this hopefulness uh for the man who is on this pilgrimage uh headed to uh to, to celebrate one of the feasts the rest of 121 emphasizes god keeping um uh, in uh verse uh verse one he says i will lift up and then in verse three he changes it to he will not allow you and so he's speaking to somebody else so i'm, I'm not going to insist on this but i imagine now he's begun his journey and somebody is walking alongside of him and he's speaking these things he's saying the lord is going to keep you he's going to keep israel the lord is your keeper verse five the lord will keep you verse seven the lord will keep you verse eight you know it's just mentioned uh, about the seven times in uh, psalm 121 the lord is going to keep you and so on this journey the lord is going to take care of him and provide for him not just on the journey but forever 121 ends yes that's something there you want to jump in so one uh, so 122 then you have this sense of i was glad when they said to me let us go to the house of the lord so here they are they're they're headed to the temple they're headed to jerusalem and he's like oh i was so glad when i got that call you know when 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 people were walking by and they say hey let's go it's time to go i was so glad when they said let us go to the house of the lord and you know i'm not going to make a ton of spiritual applications for us. We don't have time to, to go through all of them. But what a great one to think about when it comes time that we can go to worship God together. And, and we should just be so overjoyed at the opportunity when when the brethren are going to come together and, and you know it's that time, um, you know, that should make us glad to, to be able to, to do that. And we have in verse 9, so verse 122, Psalm 122, verse 1 is, let us go to the house of the Lord. Verse 9, because of the house of the Lord, uh, I will seek your good. Um, uh, And so, again, the emphasis is on the house of the Lord going to the temple for these annual feasts.
2: You know, can I just chase a rabbit here just for a second? Please. Please talking about the, the joy of going to the house of the Lord. Of course, the house of the Lord is not the church building. It's it's the people. But there is an application that we should find joy in coming together with God's people and worshiping God as his house, not to say in his house as if the building is it. Um, but, you know, we have a lot to do with whether or not we find joy in, in doing that. My attitude in if I expect to find joy, If I, if I am contributing something, if I'm just going and waiting for somebody to make me feel good about being there, I'm probably not going to find it. Um, but also just practically speaking, we had somebody visit sometime recently, one of our assemblies, and I don't know what his background is. I don't know where he normally worships. Um, but I suspect he normally worships someplace where they use instrumental music. Um, he was from out of state and he was on the phone just talking to his wife and talking to his buddy, other people, he's saying the singing was amazing. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you that we have the greatest singing in any congregation I've I've been in here at Exton. We have good singing. It's gotten better over the years. Um, but one thing about it, when we have a song leader lead songs that, that praise God. And when we're enthusiastic about singing them, it, it comes across. And you know what? If you're listening to this, to this webcast and you're thinking about the congregation in which you assemble, you think about your singing and you think about your own participation. Do you sing joyfully in such a way that it contributes to an overall impression that somebody who might be visiting there for the first time would say, wow, this is joyful, people praising the Lord gladly? Or would they just get the impression that, well, these people are just going through the motions. They're doing it because they have to do it
1: what a great challenge absolutely amen uh very good so 123 then uh, we mentioned the beginning there unto you i lift up my eyes you dwell in the heavens um uh, and it's because he needs mercy um at the end of verse two uh so our eyes look the lord our god till he has mercy on us verse three have mercy on us the lord have mercy on us because they are filled with contempt in other words people are viewing them with contempt the end of verse three and the beginning of verse four people are scorning them you might imagine the people that aren't going on this journey maybe it's the pagans that are around them that are making fun of them whatever the case but they're they're not going to look at those they're going to set their eyes on the lord psalm 123 verse 1 and verse 2 as the eyes of the servant look at the hand of their masters the eyes of the maid to the hand of her mistress so our eyes look to the lord our God. So people are causing problems, people are making fun of, people are trying to subvert your plans to worship, but I'm gonna set my eyes on Jesus, Hebrews wow. 12. Yeah, Just you, can, can you just picture as you're reading through this, I can see the journey, I can see the pilgrimage taking place. And it's the same thing that's true with our spiritual life as as well. And so 124, I'm imagining them getting really close now um uh, maybe they've come into the city walls or something because you have this statement in verse one if it had not been the lord was who was on our side let israel now say if it had not been the lord who was on our side you know i, I want to make sure that this is clear it's because the lord took care of us mm-hmm. and if not we would have been swallowed up the waters would have engulfed us uh the swollen waters would have gone over our soul three four and five you have water imagery Verse six, blessed be the Lord who has not given us his prey. Verse eight, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And so over and over, it's about this powerful creator taking care of them. Great emphasis on the Lord is the one who has protected us through this journey. And so then Psalm 125 begins to use this, has this emphasis on Zion. You notice that the word zion is used in 125 1 126 1 128 uh, verse 5 129 verse 5 132 13 133 th- verse 3 and 134 verse 3. nearly every psalm hereafter is talking about zion and so um you know it seems as if we've gotten maybe we're we're in the gates maybe we're we're really getting close to the the temple there seems to be greater emphasis now eh, even on that and so those who trust in the lord are are like mount zion which cannot be moved but abides forever as the mountains surround jerusalem so the lord surrounds his people I, i love this imagery because the people are in zion but it's the other but but zion is not the tallest mountain in that range no no. Um uh, there's a, there's a couple of other mountains that are that are larger than that Mount of Olives, I think it might be uh, uh, taller than that. Um, and uh, one to the south, I forget the name of it now. But uh, uh, J- Jerusalem uh, Zion is not the tallest mountain. And so you get that sort of imagery again at, now that they've reached, maybe they've reached Jerusalem, but there's still hills that are higher around them. And it's like just like Zion is protected by the other hills, god is protecting us within this place again just so much trust and confidence in uh, the lord um uh, and it's again just great emphasis verse two so the lord surrounds his people verse three let the righteous verse four do good O lord to those who are good to those who are upright in their hearts and so it's those who have those people have a relationship with god can have this trust that god is going to take care of them
2: I, I, I love this. I'm I'm backtracking here, but when you were in Psalm 123 and talking about looking to the Lord, the eyes of the servants look to the hand of their master, the eyes of a maid look to the hand of their mistress. So our eyes look to the Lord, our God. And then and imagining, as seems to be suggested in verse four, there are those who are scoffing. Um, verse four, our soul is greatly filled with the scoffing of those who are at ease with the contempt of the proud. So there'd be those making fun of, of you what, what you're doing when, when we have people who are scoffing, when we have people who are ridiculing our faith, it's, there's this tendency to want to lash back, lash out. There's this Mm -hmm. tendency to make it a contest between me and you, you know, who's smarter, who's dumber, who's whatever. And, and that's not what this says. What this says is they're looking to the Lord and and the Lord's going to deal with all of that. You know, vengeance belongs to the Lord. Um, that's powerful to me at this moment.
1: Amen. Uh, that is exactly right. It, it's hard to know what to emphasize in, uh, in these psalms. Um, they are just tremendous. And for those of you that are joining us, if you've not read through them in one setting, please do so and read through them, uh, from the vantage point of somebody with, uh, with their sandals on walking from their home to, uh, Jerusalem for one of these feast celebrations. Um, uh, and uh, that's that's the imagery then of us in our journey with the Lord, and the Lord taking care of us now as we are headed to the temple, to the dwelling place of God. Remember that the tabernacle of the Old Testament, the temple of the Old Testament, was built upon the pattern, of uh, the heavenly pattern. Remember when Moses was given that vision of of God's dwelling place, uh, and so we are headed to that temple in a spiritual sense. Um, and as we're on that journey this ought to be us
2: you know that just I'm going to take us away from the psalms just briefly here but that imagery of journeying there's an expression that Peter uses in first Peter chapter 1 and verse 13 girding up the loins of your mind uh, a lot of modern translations say something like, um, getting your, your mind ready for action or getting your heart ready for action or something like that, which kind of loses the figure. There's a place in the Old Testament where it, it talked about girding up their loins. In Exodus chapter 12, as they were preparing for the, the last plague, they're going to eat the, 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 the original Passover lamb. They were to do so with their sandals, their feet shod, that is their sandals on their feet, their loins girded, and their staff on their hand because they're staff in their hand because they're ready to go on the journey, because Pharaoh's gonna let them go that night. So they're starting their journey. And that's the figure that comes to mind in First Peter one when he talks about girding up the loins, only it's your your mental loins. That is, don't let your mind get caught in the things of this world. You are on a journey, you are ascending to the place of God. And so then you come back to the the this picture of these people on their way to Jerusalem, to the house of God. And and um, and you were talking about their their sandals on their feet, I think, was what you were referring to. Yes. And, but that that's transferring that to the spiritual journey we're on. Uh,
1: amen. Yeah, that's that's a great connection to make there. Uh, uh, several Old Testament allusions in uh, Peter's writings for sure. So let's zero in now on 126, and we'll just camp out here for a little bit, Lord willing. But if anybody's listening, if you have comments or questions, please uh, uh, join in. Um, uh, send those in to us, and we'll try to address those as we can. Uh, we certainly welcome your thoughts. So 126, when do you guys want to read that one for us?
0: When the Lord restored the fortunes of Zion, we were like those who dream. Our mouths were filled with laughter then, and our tongues with shouts of joy. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us. We were joyful. Restore our fortunes, Lord, like water courses in the Negev. Those who sow in tears will reap with shouts of joy. Though one though one goes along weeping, carrying the bag of seed, he will surely come back with shouts of joy, carrying his sheaves.
1: Okay. Okay. I'm, I'm going to make just a couple of distinctions with the New King James and the, the New American Standard here. But to me, one of the more powerful ones is the very end, verse six: um, "Shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him." Um, does that call to mind a song, perhaps, bringing in the sheaves?
0: Yeah. Oh, you mean like in our
1: songbooks? Yeah, Church? in our songbook. Yeah, I, I, I I'm in song.
2: the sheaves, bringing in the sheaves. Yeah, no, <laughs>
1: you
2: don't that, I don't yeah. I have much of a voice today. <laughs>
1: that's okay. It's better than me trying that. Um, so that's the, that's where this uh, song. You know, you get that idea of, of people bringing in the sheaves, and so I want us to keep that in mind. But also, verse one. Um, uh, I think Chase, were you reading from the ESV? Maybe. No Christian Standard Bible. Okay, so it it pretty similar matches the ESV, the New King James, and the New American Standard are solidified, and they're uh, suggesting that this is it should say something like the Lord when the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, mm-hmm. and literally it's the idea of uh, there was a turning of events, um, and so exactly what the meaning is here is a little bit questionable. Um, uh, I'm going to make the argument for it being the returning of the captivity and uh, hopefully you can uh, can see why. Whether you ultimately agree, it doesn't make a big difference, but I think it makes the psalm clearer and maybe has greater impact if it is this idea of when the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion. But at the, again, at the end of the day, the message is still the same. Um, But what we're talking about is, you know, we might say today something along the lines of uh, uh, the tables have turned, you know, there's a something had been going one way and now it's going another way. That would certainly be true with coming out of captivity. It would also fit with a lot of other events that had been looking pretty bleak, and then uh, now they're looking, uh, you know, much more positive. You can think about several events in the life of David um, uh, that would fit that kind of category as well. So again, the the applications are going to be very similar there um so, so ahead, if,
2: if i can if i can just to, to ask you to clarify here i wasn't sure which way you were going with that and and i i agree i get it what you're talking about this phrase I, I think there's an example in in joel chapter 3 and verse 1 where the new american standard says when i restore the fortunes and i think maybe the king james says when i turn the captivity right. um there's some ambiguity there it, there's it, it's a phrase that indicates a turn of events usually from bad to bad to good right um but what were you saying were you saying that you do like the reference to the captivity here or you prefer to leave it more open ended so
1: it may be open ended i like the captivity that's um, what I
2: you said so yeah. then do you see this as uh then would you say that what we're talking about is the people going up to jerusalem to celebrate these feasts as they have come out of captivity is that what you're thinking
1: so I, I think the Psalms were written at different times, maybe yeah. for different occasions, but they're collected and put in this format for right. that purpose. Yes. So so I don't think that they are that these are necessarily the ones that came out of captivity, um, but they're telling the story. And and that's a great, great question that I can use as a segue. So I mentioned Leviticus 23 tells the three different uh feast and uh, the the details of like what's supposed to happen on those but if you want to look over it hold your place here and look over at deuteronomy 26 in deuteronomy 26 um uh, if you uh, this is a a parallel text and let me just read a portion of this beginning in verse one and it shall be when you come into the land which the lord your god is giving you as an inheritance and you shall possess it and dwell in it you shall take some of the first of all the produce of the ground which you shall bring from your land that the lord your god is giving you you shall put it in a basket go to the place the lord your god chooses to make his name abide and you shall go to the one who is the priest in those days and say to him i declare today to the lord your god that i have come to the country which the lord swore to your fathers to give us then the priest shall take the basket out of your hand set it down before the altar of the lord your god and you shall answer and say before the lord your god my father was a syrian about to perish he went down to egypt and sojourned there few in number and there he became a nation great mighty and populous but the egyptians mistreated us afflicted us and laid hard bondage on us then we cried out to the lord god of our fathers and the lord heard our voice and looked on our affliction and our labor and our oppression So the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand, with an outstretched arm, and with great terror, and with signs and wonders. He's brought us to this land, and has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now, behold, I have brought the first fruits of the land, which you, O Lord, have given me. Then you shall set it before the Lord your God, and worship before the Lord your God. So this is at the feast. At one of the feasts, they were supposed to come. Now, there was actually two feasts that I think fit into the category of first fruits. One is at the Passover in Leviticus 23, we read about during the time of the the Passover, it was also called the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And during that time, they were supposed to bring the first fruits, the first produce from the early crop. And then on Pentecost, 50 days later, also called the Feast of First Fruits in Leviticus 23, they were supposed to bring the first fruits of the later harvest and if i remember
2: right the 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 barley harvest was the early one at passover and then the wheat harvest at pentecost
1: i think that's correct yeah yeah i think that's right and so but on both of them they were supposed to bring a basket right and so you have this image of them as they're walking down the road for these feasts singing these songs they're carrying a basket full of produce and you know what what are they they're they're bringing in the sheaves That's what they're doing. (laughs) And so I think that that when you get that picture from Deuteronomy 26, and they're acknowledging it, and when they're telling this story year after year, this is what they were supposed to say to the priest. And so when they come in, they're they're proclaiming that they had been captives in Egypt. Now I think Psalm 126 is kind of updating that. It's sort of like deja vu or 2.0. They had been in Egyptian bondage now they've also been in babylonian captivity i think that's the reference here i can't prove that but i've got some other circumstantial evidence mm-hmm. i'll throw out here in a minute um uh, and so if they have come back from babylonian captivity if this was written at that time and then added to this collection afterward then you have these people making that same proclamation um, uh, that the lord brought us back from captivity um uh, and uh, and so forth um so It may just mean turn of events, fortune has changed. But when we think about them coming out of Egyptian captivity, bringing the sheaves, Deuteronomy 26, and they were supposed to do this year after year, bringing their first fruits along the way. Now, let me just throw out a couple more pieces of, again, circumstantial evidence. It says in Psalm 126, verse two, well, verse one, uh, we were like those who dream. You know, the, the as they're walking along the road, they're like, Hey, Chase, pinch me. I, I can't believe this is really happening. We we've 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 been released from captivity and we're on our way to Zion. Right. Can, can you believe this? Is this a dream? And then it, it is so surreal, they are so beside themselves, they're so joyous that they can't help but laugh. This is so wonderful. Verse two: our mouths were filled with laughter and our tongue was singing. You know, this can you believe this, guys? This is really happening now. This is certainly a turn of events the return from captivity, and then being able to the, the culmination of that getting to go to Zion for, for this event. Um, the people, verse uh, the end of verse two, then they said among the nations, The Lord has done, done great things for them, and then they respond in verse three, The Lord has done great things for us, and we're glad. You know, the people are saying that that's exactly right amen and boy we are so thrilled with this now again hold your place here and look over at ezra the sixth chapter so the book of ezra is telling the story of the return from babylonian captivity right the medo persian is now in control ezra one cyrus tells them that they can go back home and so they've done that they started building the the temple they paused for a while But in ezra 6 they finished building the temple in ezra 6 and in verse 15 and they begin to offer sacrifices and so forth but look at verse 19 beginning the descendants of the captivity kept the passover on the 14th day of the first month for the priests and levites had purified themselves all of them were ritually clean they slaughtered the passover lambs for all the descendants of the captivity for all their brethren the priests and for themselves Then the children of Israel, who had returned from the captivity, ate together with all who had separated themselves from the filth of the nations of the land in order to seek the Lord God of Israel. And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy, for the Lord had made them joyful and turned the heart of the king of Syria toward them to strengthen their hands in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. So when they came back from captivity, built the temple, and celebrated the Passover feast, and uh, the feast of unleavened bread the time in which they would bring that first fruits leviticus 3 uh, Le- leviticus 23 verse 4 and following it says that they were joyful it says twice that they were joyful in verse 22 the lord had made they, they, with joy for the lord had made them joyful and so again look back at psalm 126 and uh, and verse 2 then our mouths were filled with laughter our tongue was singing they said the nation the lord has done great things for them the lord has done great things for us and we are glad I mean, that's very synonymous to ezra six twenty two. now throw in another piece of uh of, of history there when that first return from captivity who were the who were the leaders who was the governor that came
2: uh, Zerubbabel.
1: Yeah. And who was the high priest,
2: Joshua, Joshua.
1: and they came, there was also two prophets that came with them or that Zechariah, were hiding. Haggai. Yes, Zachariah and Haggai. And so you can flip back to those prophets uh, working backwards in the old Testament. Malachi is the last book. Zechariah is the second to the last book. And then Haggai is the third to the last book. It's between the Z's. Uh, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zachariah, and Malachi. Remember Haggai and Zechariah were having to get after the the people because they had started building the temple, some problems arose, they stopped, but they didn't stop building their own houses. And so Haggai rebukes them for that. And uh, notice in verse chapter Haggai chapter 2 and in verse 15. And now carefully consider from this day forward, from before stone was laid upon stone in the temple of the Lord since those days when one came to a heap of 20 ephahs, there were but 10. When one came to the wine vat to draw up 50 baths from the breast, there were but 20. In other words, the, the crops aren't producing like what uh, they should have. Verse 17 explains why. I struck you with blight and mildew and hail and all the labors of your hands, yet you did not turn to me, says the Lord. Verse 18, now consider from this day forward. From the 24th day of the ninth month, from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed still in the barn? As yet the vine, the fig tree, the pomegranate, the olive tree have not yielded fruit. But from this day forward, I will bless you. Things have not been going well because they hadn't been serving the Lord. But when they've decided that they were going to build the temple and when they've completed it now, then God says, I'm going to bless you and you're going to have the produce. God is going to take care of you. And so, again, think about Psalm 126 in that light. I'm not saying it has to be this timing, but, boy, Leviticus 23, Deuteronomy 26, uh, Ezra 6, and then Haggai. And now you've got this idea of the captivity of Zion. Those who have been captive, it's like they're in a dream. They're celebrating. They're joyful. They're glad. And they remind each other in this psalm the same thing that Haggai had reminded them we're going to go out and we're going to sow and then we're going to reap and uh, we're going to be rejoicing bringing in the sheaves uh psalm 26 uh, 126 and in verse 6. now all of that is circumstantial evidence but i think there's a lot of it there uh and so it it maybe it fits another scenario too and that'd be great i mean i think that you know we could work this into the story of david in various ways but this text, just from beginning to end, seems to uh, insinuate that uh, that's the kind of setting. Uh, I'll just put it that way. That's the kind of setting that we're that we're dealing with. Um, so I'll pause. There any any thoughts or questions?
2: A little thing in Psalm one twenty-six, verse two. Even the reference to uh then they said among the nations the Lord has done great things for them. The fact that there are other nations looking at what's happening amongst God's people say, ah oh, the Lord's done great things for them fits this idea, this picture that you're painting when they've come out of captivity and are going back up to the house of the Lord to celebrate right. beasts.
1: I'm I'm thinking about people like Daniel. You know, uh he stayed in the captivity, but it was really clear that the Lord was taking care of his people. Nebuchadnezzar and others saw it. Uh we can easily imagine other nations recognizing God is with the the Jews or during the time of Esther as well. Um, during the time of Nehemiah, certainly the other nations saw that God was prospering them. They built right. a wall in 52 days yeah. right. so all, all throughout the return from captivity. I think this imagery um, is, is fitting. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll just leave it like that.
2: Well, you know, so often I, I've, I've heard the Psalms of a sense presented as an either or thing, either, it's going up to Jerusalem for the feast day or it's coming back out of captivity. But what you're picturing here is it's going up to the feast day after they've come out of captivity.
1: (laughs) I I think so. I mean, that that's, uh, maybe I'm just riding the fence on that, but, but no, I mean, it
2: it makes perfect sense. So much of it make, it, it it makes more sense than just they're trudging back to the promised land out of captivity, the going up to the house of God. And, and, and you say, bringing in the sheaves, uh, I mean yeah. that's not people coming out of captivity that's people who've come out of captivity and are again as we see in Haggai starting to feel God's blessing again in their crops and they're coming to the house of the Lord to worship
1: right right yeah i think so too and and this this psalm is not rose colored glasses either you know coming out of the captivity and recognizing those blessings that Haggai is promising or that you know the the joy that they have there's still going to be a lot of hard work, right? I mean, yeah. you know, from the destruction of Jerusalem in 586 to the, the first return was rebel and Jeshua in 539, about 50 years have passed since since the, that time alone. The, the full captivity is about 70 years. Um, you know, imagine being taken captive to a foreign country, being gone for at least 50 years, and then coming back. What's your plot of land going to look like? Mm. You know, a lot of thorns and thistles and weeds. And, you know, it's just not going to be very positive, right? A lot of work that's involved. And so in verse four, they need God to help them. Now, Chase, what does verse four say in your translation?
0: Restore our fortunes, Lord, like water courses in the negative.
1: Yeah. And I I think that's probably a more accurate, that, that would be my view, that that flows a little bit more naturally. So we've come back, we're excited about this, but things are still tough. And so we need our fortunes restored. We need blessings. We need constant blessings from God because these are difficult days for us. And so during the, the, the regular time of year, the, uh, the river, of the south, the Negev, um, was not a, a, a long, uh, a large flowing river. They didn't have a lot of water there. But they, one of the historians that I read said that if it rained an inch in the hills, that it would flood that that river would be overflowing you know by the time all of that water came down it would be a torrent it it would just be overflowing and that's what they're saying is God shower your blessings upon us let them run abundantly upon Mm -hmm. us again it's kind of a, a change of events in Psalm 124 They were saying that the enemies in verses three, four, and five, the enemies would have swallowed us alive like waters and waters would have overwhelmed us. Uh, Swollen waters would have gone over our soul. Now they need the blessings from God to overwhelm them. Um, uh, And they're going to be sowing in tears verse, uh, Psalm and verse five, sowing in tears, but reaping in joy. And I just think that's probably kind of hard for us to imagine today. Um, uh, you know, uh, when people want to uh, plant their garden, they go down to Home Depot or Lowe's or the local farm center and they pick up several packages of seeds and uh, they scatter those out. But that's not the way that it would have worked for them. You know, they have to set some seeds aside from the previous year's crop and then they're going to plant those in the spring. And then they're going to work that, until that ground. They're going to plant the seeds. They're going to weed that. They're going to try to keep animals and so forth out of it. Um, uh, they're going to try to take care of that. They're going to harvest it, and then they're going to enjoy those blessings of that after they've given God the first of that. Um, uh, and so there's some difficulties, and there's some dangers, right? If if that crop doesn't take, then uh, there's going to be not the, you know we're not going to be eating later on. And so they're sowing in tears, but they are reaping in joy. Um, I can remember uh, we had a, a farm when I was a child and, and growing up, and uh, we had about 110 acres. And we had tractors, so it was much easier than these guys had it. But I can remember planting wheat and corn and other things. We planted a lot of potatoes, and it was hard work um, uh, planting those in the sun, uh, weeding them out, um, uh, you know, trying to take care of them and then digging them up and having to pick them up in buckets and carry them in and we would separate them and we'd save some of them for the next year because we needed to have potatoes to plant for the next year as well. But as we would harvest that, you know, boy, it was hard work. We would work from sun up until sundown and uh, very few breaks uh, during that time. And then when we would come in to eat, wow, what a banquet. Those potatoes that we had dug that morning, the tomatoes that we had pulled off the vine, the green beans that we had snapped, you know all those things, it just never tasted so good. Yeah. And, and that's the imagery that you have here. We sowed in tears, but we reaped in joy mm-hmm. because we put God first. And that's the image that you have in Psalm 126.
0: You think about too, I mean, them having had it, but then being taken away from it for sin and then getting it back again. Mm -hmm. Uh, It reminds me a lot of the prodigal son in Luke 15. Oh, good. Thinking about how much greater of an appreciation he would have for his father's farm and for what he had uh, once he lost it.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, very good. I like that connection. Mm -hmm. Very good.
2: Uh, Other thoughts on this uh, song, guys? Just you mentioned in verse 4, the New American Standard says, Restore our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Uh, and it has a footnote. It says literally stream beds. You, you alluded to the the river of Egypt, the Wadi El Arish. Um, these wadis are, as, as you suggested, seasonal streams. In fact, they're just dry for much of the year. And, and so you go from a stream bed to something with water rushing through it. Right. And so it's, it, the, the reference here is to a, a, a dramatic change. Right. And just thinking about that phrase, a change of fortune, so to speak.
1: Yes. Yes. And so, maybe one quick connection. We've got just a couple of minutes uh, left. But when we think about them bringing the sheaves with them, um, uh, a few passages in the New Testament I think are worth connecting. Remember, at the Passover they bring some first fruits. At Pentecost they bring first fruits. Look over at First Corinthians chapter fifteen, if you will.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So you might look back at Leviticus twenty-three at some other time and you'll notice that it's the passover is the beginning of the feast of unleavened breads and then they were to bring the first fruits according to deuteronomy 26 they were to bring the first fruits the day after the sabbath what would be the day after the sabbath what would be another way of saying that
2: first day of the week or we would say sunday
1: yeah first day of the week and so the passover and then there comes the sabbath and then the first day of the week. Can you is there any significant time in the Bible connecting a Passover with the a the first day of the week?
2: Well, Jesus eats the Passover meal, is crucified the next day. Then you have the Sabbath day, and he's raised on the first day of the week, and he's the first fruits from the dead.
1: Yes, and I so Leviticus twenty three is just another one of those powerful passages that from from centuries before had this imagery that helps us to see Christ as first corinthians 15 says in verse 20 but now christ is risen from the dead so the resurrection from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep for as since by man it came death by man also came the resurrection of the dead for as in adam all die even so in christ all shall be made alive but each one to his own order christ the first fruits afterward those who are christ at his coming and so we see ourselves as first fruits christ was the first first fruits now there's going to be more first fruits because of him and so uh we have that connection
0: chapter 16 and verse 15 the household of Stephanus is called the first fruits of
2: but then you come to the next feast which is the feast of pentecost and you have the first fruits the beginning of the church uh and james says we are a kind of first fruits of his creatures and so you have jesus first fruits from the dead passover and then at pentecost the first fruits uh, of the church coming in
1: right yeah just just tremendous imagery right and, and so what what we have then as we put all these thoughts together is that we are on this journey bringing a basket with us we're carrying a basket of of the first fruits And we ourselves are the first fruits. We are offering to God and we are offering ourselves to God, putting our trust in him as we read in the earlier Psalms of of a sense. Just just beautiful imagery of uh, walking along that way. But we are out of time. Thanks, guys, uh, for uh, following along on this journey. Thanks for all those who are are listening. If you have comments or questions, even later, feel free to send those to us. Appreciate very much your uh, attention today.